two uh, quick bites from the political world to start the show. Uh, quibbies, if you will. What'd you call me? Didn't we talk about this last week? Where, remember, you know the Quibi, uh, the um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman streaming service, Quibi? That's where like I thought, I thought you were doing a bit, and then you thought I was doing a bit. But I just, yeah, I didn't really know what that was. But now I do. Thanks. No, I'm doing a perma bit. That's kind of, that's my role in the show. Perma bit? Did you well, just yeah, make that it's, up? It's, it's always a bit. Yeah, it's trademark, trademark, trademark. <laughs> um, I'm sure the domain's gone. Do you have to say that twice in a row like that, or is it I not? Think is you it not legally the... binding otherwise? Well, no. That's one of the oldest jokes in the world. Is that whenever you have a good idea, you have to mail it to yourself because if it work, if it goes through the postal system, it somehow becomes trademarked by default. I have no idea. I think that was just a sitcom bit from the '80s. <laughs> All right, so politics. So I've got uh, I've got one uh, grumbly one and one fun one. Uh, fun one. We're going to talk about both. But what's your what's your pick? Let's let's get the negative stuff out of the way, and then we'll just transition into the fun stuff. So Mayor Pete, mm. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to read a long quote, and then I, just, I want I want your your take on it real quick. So this was from some interview he was doing on the stump because uh, Iowa is three or four weeks away now. It's February third. Right? No, it's not a week and a half away, is it? It's early February. Iowa caucus. Wow, I forgot that uh, Chrome auto-completes the dates of events if you just type it into the address bar. That's cool. Yeah, Monday, February 3rd. Yeah, there we okay. go. So Mayor Pete on the uh, the campaign trail, uh, this was a couple days ago, uh, in Mayor Pete's voice, uh, I would argue it would be good. Uh, it would be a good moment for us to recognize that we can't solve the problems that got us here in the same mentality that led to this moment which is why it might not be a bad idea to send in somebody to Washington rather than from Washington, maybe somebody who can actually walk from his house to the nearest cornfield, somebody who doesn't have golf courses with his name on them. Matter of fact, I don't even golf. Do you think it's going to bite him in the ass that he um, is participating in that uh, fetishization of rural America and kind of the whole pitting the middle of the country against the coasts? Maybe not that specifically, but I do really think there's something to the idea. And I, I'm stealing this from somewhere. I don't know if this was a 538 thing. Probably, or probably a... Claire. That's who I was going to guess. <laughs> she's, always, she's always writing good cultural stuff. It, it Actually, you know what? It, it really might be her. <laughs> Where I think voters have a really keen sense on when you're being fake folksy versus legitimate folksy. Like, to me... And I, I'm not really passing judgment one way or the other, I, but like with the way that Biden communicates, you can like it or not like it, but he's real folksy, but he, but yeah, he, I don't think anyone would question that. Like he's not doing a bit like that's just, he's just, he's just being Joe Biden. Um, but <laughs> for I think, or worse, yeah. <laughs> again, for better or worse. Yeah, exactly. But I think with Mayor Pete, you know, it's, it's hard to reconcile walking next door to your local cornfield with you know doing high dollar fundraisers in wine cave yeah in a wine cave so i think that's where you're going to get some pushback on the um genuine nature of your um folksiness but it really feels like it's not catching up to him and i i, I don't get why because it because it, you're right that it rings super hollow i think it i think it is though because it does seem like he hasn't 
gained much in the polls and is still only appealing towards, you know, a, a somewhat small segment of the Democratic primary um, electorate. Now, that hasn't really changed. And if anything, it seems like he's like when you're, you know, I guess the consensus now is we've got four kind of top tier candidates. I think there's a lot of there's a big case to make for him being kind of number four in that group. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Or that's what the polling data seems to suggest. That's what the model says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. And then I'm sending you an image. Uh, so we are in uh, day two of the uh, impeachment proceedings in the Senate. And I unfortunately have been have had my TV on um, MSNBC most of the past couple of days, which is, which is a big mistake. But um <laughs> There's and also it's probably just for the burning possibility on my OLED <laughs> or uh, TV is probably not wise to have um, like a static breaking news guy run for four hours on the TV. So just to let the Apple TV screensavers run for a while. But yeah, so I bring this up because while like there was some delay when there was uh, yesterday when McConnell was going to go speak for like two hours to talk about his uh, shifty rules where he wasn't going to allow any evidence or anything like that. But I didn't know that um, Claire McCaskill who I think she was a former senator from Missouri, I, I, some, something like that. Uh, she, her second act is now she's just one of those, like she got the cushy job where she's just a, a paid political commentator for just TV news. Um, but she was talking about something interesting that kind of ties into the show, which is still or sparkling, where she was talking about when you have like really long days on the Senate floor, there's certain beverages that you're allowed to have. And you cannot request from your staff, like when the pages are running around to um, try to tend to the needs of uh, the elected officials, uh, you can request either water or milk, apparently. But you do get the choice of either still or, as she put it, in in the... Because I, I couldn't figure out my audio interface on my Mac, so I had to put on closed captioning when I was trying to look up this clip. Uh, you, or you can put bubbly. But I, I really hoped that the closed captioner had accidentally mistyped it. Like yeah, like the PepsiCo, um, uh, Michael Bublé sparkling water, but yeah. So you can either have still or bubbly water, as as um, East Coast people say. So I, I thought that I thought that was kind of fun. So let me just make sure I'm understanding this correctly. You're on the floor of the Senate. You're literally only allowed to have water or milk. Correct. You cannot just request like coffee. You if during a recess, which there have been a fair number. Again, I've been watching way too much of of, of this stuff, and I, man, Adam Schiff can talk for literally hours on it. <laughs> yes. Literally, yes. Um, uh, but yeah, apparently, uh, other than during a recess, when you are when like a page or or some congressional staffer is bringing stuff out, you can only choose water of apparently still or bubbly variety or milk. Apparently, so there's a, there, I'll, I will send you a link. There is uh, MSNBC actually put up this. Um, minute and 30 second clip on uh on the internet so i thought that was fun so congressional quick congressional still or sparkling i'm gonna put this uh image in the notes as well um but then we'll um yeah we'll drop in this clip too yeah um that's that's so strange like why why can't you have why can't you have coffee i know yeah now, now that i'm into this whole pour over thing i assume that what like what are there any young senators? I, I don't think so. I assume Ocasio Cortez uh, is is getting uh, 
blue bottle shipped in from the Bronx or something. I, well, I, I think in the in the House anything goes, but I mean, a, as you know, Carlos, the the Senate is you know inapproachable in its um, decorum. Yeah, have you seen on on the Twitter that the there's been a like this happens every um, on Lefty Twitter every once in a while where somebody will post a map of um, like they'll pick a bunch. Let me phrase this carefully. They'll pick a bunch of um, less populated states from middle America, and they they just chose like eight at random. And they're like the total combined population of these eight states is 18 million, and therefore they get 16 senators. And California, with like 48 million people, gets two. Like that 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 that's always frustrating, but it's all it always comes up at these times. Mm-hmm. All right, want to jump into follow up? Let's do it. Okay, so I will send you another picture for this because unfortunately we are um, doubling down on Wednesdays being um, shopping days, which means really um, boring uh, follow-up. So we've talked about um, Target's uh, paper towel math, right? Yeah, we have, yes. Okay, and Slack doesn't want to upload this picture, so we'll we'll just we'll visualize. Yeah, it it, it occasionally decides it just doesn't want to do photo uploads. I've noticed that too. Yeah, just as your file could be uploaded. Hmm. <laughs> Looks like it. Do you want to try again? I've tried three times. No. Um, so, yeah. So we've talked in the past where uh, Target has three different sizes of paper towel rolls, which are uh, double, mega, and huge. And we, we, we went through an exercise before where we figured out which was the largest. Uh, spoiler, uh, huge was bigger than mega. But they've updated their packaging to be maybe less confusing, but it's also worse. And it also feels very much like an Apple or an HP thing. So uh, huge, which is the role I like just because uh, like it doesn't actually matter, but you have to change the role less. So it's it's convenient to have the most sheets per role. Uh, but they've renamed huge to be double plus. <laughs> oh, no. So, and again, I'll, I will find a way to put this image on the internet, but because I'm, it, because the thing, it, it's so frustrating because it says eight double plus rolls equals 20 regular rolls asterisk. Oh, of course. Everybody, everybody knows that. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I don't think Target sells regular rolls. I've never seen anything smaller than well, double. Is, is that the asterisk? Is we don't actually sell that size? <laughs> Maybe because because the double asterisk is compared to bounty registered trademark. <laughs> so I don't know. I I just be in in the advent of HBO uh, HBO Max and Apple TV Plus and just everything being called Plus. Them switching it to Double Plus, as in um, wasn't it when the HP Touchpad came out? They said we want to be number one Plus or something. I I think isn't that kind of what kicked that whole thing off? I think so, but just whenever like the um the CPG world and tech crossover, I always get kind of uh, I get very excited in a weird in a weird disappointed um, <laughs> dystopian way. Sure, yeah. Um, let me go back to the doc. So the next one up is you. So you sent me not a troubling screenshot, but you sent me something that that definitely kind of conjures a lot of uh, um thinky face emojis, where you. Maybe two weeks ago, or no, it's probably last week. I think that's it, when it, was, it was a couple weeks ago, I think. I think it was last week when you were using your mic stand on paper towels, which probably came, they did not come from a double plus roll. But, <laughs> no. but you were, we were talking, we were doing the mental math on, I was incredulous that your um, remodeled home had more than, that you were running up against the limitation 
of total number of hue lights and accessories that could be supported by one bridge. And then he sent me a spreadsheet say that apparently uh, says you, you brought the receipts. I did. So I thought I had easily broken the uh, 50 device barrier because, again, to clarify, it doesn't mean I have 50 lights. It's 50 devices. So that includes lights and switches. Well, your switch count also is troubling, but we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but when you and I, I had actually one. So one of the one of the LED strips that I had bought for underneath the kitchen cabinets actually came with a free hub and I had sort of anticipated needing a second one. So, you know, I I got that second hub for free, which was nice. But when you sort of pushed back, um, when I brought this up, it had occurred to me that I never actually like stopped and like did an actual kind of inventory. I just sort of intuitively was thinking like, yeah, I've got to be getting pretty close to that 50 mark. Um, but it had, it, had been, it had been kind of bugging me that um, I hadn't actually done the math. So um, now that the remodel's kind of winding down and we're kind of starting to put on the finishing touches on everything, one of the things I want to tackle is kind of cleaning up our um, light switch situation, which as someone who's been over to the house and has seen firsthand, we've got about eight different light switches just because we've been trying you know, different types. But I want to kind of standardize all that now. And so this was a good time to actually take inventory as I get ready to set all those up and then also potentially um, set up this second Philips hub because I wasn't actually going to go through with that if I didn't need it because I'm I'm anticipating all kinds of weird issues with like Lady and the Can integration and other things by adding in a second hub. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. So I totaled everything up. And with lights and switches and everything, I'm up to 73 Philips Hue devices slash Friends of Hue devices, mm-hmm. which is a lot. So can, can, can I pick apart a little bit at it? Not in a, in, in, in a constructive way, not a mean way. Sure. So I don't necessarily understand how you have a one to two ratio for uh, switches to lights in your kitchen. I, I, I just can't, cause I can't imagine. I don't, I get when you, cause you're pushed back. When I pushed back, you mentioned that, yeah, you have the thing where, um, you know, like the weird annoying thing in houses where maybe like the top of the stairs and the bottom of the stairs, you have the thing where like the opposite set of switches turns off the lights and they can be in reversible order. Well, yeah, that, that's the, that's the classic use case for a three-way switch. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was your point, but also I, I can't, that doesn't make any sense. That that still suggests that maybe on either end of the kitchen you would just have one switch. I I I I'm interested in your justification as how you can have six. So part of the story is that, um, so we so we have basically two different types of lighting in the kitchen. There's the recessed lighting, and then there's the under cabinet lighting. The recessed lighting is broken up into three sections. One turns on eight of the ten recessed lights, so that's kind of like light that will light up the whole space. There's a dedicated recessed light which is centered over the island, which you can turn on individually, so that's another switch. And then the tenth recessed light is directly above the sink, which can also be independently controlled. So the number of switches kind of adds up where when you 
taken in consideration, there's the kind of three zones of recessed lighting, and then the under cabinet lighting, and then we have it set up where um, two of the zones of the recessed lighting, the kind of the, the eight light section, and then the island section can be turned on and off on either end of the kitchen for convenience. I'm going to still suggest that you would need at most three there. Because if you're using, I don't know what switches you're using, but why wouldn't you just be able to have maybe one by the sink or one at maybe one edge of the island that controls the sink light or the center light, and then you have one on either end of the kitchen? Because you can do, at least on the Hue like classic dimmer switch that's been a, um, a perennial favorite on the show, where you can do the thing where if you click like the on button twice, it has like a second mode, where it feels like that would encompass pretty much everything where having to explain that this like on this one wall there's like four switches and this is the one that does the thing that that seems as complicated as explaining to somebody that oh you just click it twice so to, yeah i mean so to i guess clarify a couple of things one is i guess this this further supports your point how the number of switches we have is kind of crazy most of the time, we just use the Lady Nikan integration to control our hue lights. So we actually don't even use the light switches a ton in kind of our everyday use. Um, but the second thing is that, so as part of the kitchen remodel, so we're, I mean, our house is, is you know, from the 1950s and most of the electrical, including in the old kitchen, was original to the home. So the entire... Um, electrical system in the kitchen area needed to be completely redone with a new panel, all that fun stuff as part of the kitchen remodel. And, you know, we had stripped back all the sheetrock and we're basically working from a blank canvas. And there was kind of no incremental cost to us for having that extra bank of switches. Because I'm, I'm in agreement with you where if we basically just had like one set of two or three switches that would be sufficient um but because we were working with this blank canvas on a kind of flat fee project this was just the solution that our contractor recommended and you know it was kind of like one of those things where it's like well okay why not so this wasn't something that like we went out of our way to get this was just mm -hmm. something that you know kind of just was a part of the overall remodel we did. Mm -hmm. Also, so rounding out this topic, I'm going to ask, do you have a separate bathroom? We have, well, we have two bathrooms in the house, yeah. But do you have one that's designated as you? Uh, for now, yeah. Hmm. I mean, we're taking advantage of that while we can. Those days will rapidly come to an end. <laughs> um, but yeah, for hmm. now. Okay, that gets a Mikey B. Hmm. The well, so I would, I would generally, I would generally think that you would have one that is associated as being sort of kind of the master bathroom adjacent one, and then the guest bathroom. That's 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 a hmm. well. So you know, our home has a again. You've been here. Our our, our home has a, a kind of an odd layout. I would say neither of the bathrooms is connected to any of the bedrooms, so there's not really like what would clearly be a master bathroom versus like a guest bathroom. They're both basically exactly the same size. Um. So, you know, while it's just the two of us, it's it's just kind of a nice thing to be able to have our own separate bathrooms, especially because, you know, they're both individually pretty small. Um, but that that will change where um in the coming 
couple of years, you know, one will um, become ours and then the second will become, you know, a kid's slash guest bathroom. But the uh, the quick sidebar I was going to go off on, which I thought you'd kind of appreciate, is um, home remodeling is is such a dangerous slope because, or such a slippery slope, I guess is the right phrase, because, you know, when we first moved in, like the whole house looked old. And so it was like, well, okay, fine. It is what it is. But then it was like, you know, the first kind of major thing we did was upgrade all the interior doors. And then that made the baseboards look old. And then, you know, we replaced those as part of this project, but then, you know, that would make the floors look old. So we refinished the floors as part of this project. And now that the kitchen's been redone, it makes the bathrooms look really old. Mm-hmm. So um, th- those those will come up here at some point in the next few years. You need to use my strategy and just rent until you die. <laughs> Moving on, we have... Uh, oh, wait, okay. Yeah, so, okay, that's, that's a good flow. Yeah, I, I was smart to arrange it this way. Um you no i found this a uh, better call Saul is coming back on <clears throat> february 23rd uh, a couple weeks after the iowa caucus and um uh but amc has also confirmed during because january as uh, upgrades upstream segment has reminded us that january is kind of when all the press tour and um, television planning happens um that better call Saul has been renewed for a sixth and final season at amc and from what this Variety article suggests, there's not going to be any AMC funny business uh, with like splitting it up into like two or four, twelve uh, micro seasons. So yeah, we have one more, we have one more season coming up right now, and then one final season um, in 2021. I thought, I thought you and I were sort of unsure about that last point because this this Variety article, which is the only one that I've read about this only says that season six will air in 2021 and we'll have 13 episodes, but it doesn't say they'll air like 13 consecutive weeks. They could still do the, well, you know, here's six in the, you know, first half of the year. And then here's the last five in the second half of the year or something like that. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought in the Slack you had suggested that it was that way, but yeah, you can never put something past AMC. I just was, I thought the, clarification that it would air in one calendar year was a good sign because if i remember correctly wasn't the final season of um breaking bad wasn't that split over two calendar years no i think you're thinking of Mad Men. that's the one where they really tried to milk it i am thinking of Mad Men. that's right yeah you have that god-awful this wasn't the serious finale him inventing the coke ad it was yeah that was really bad. Yeah, it was fine. Um, I keep trying to remember what is. Doesn't AMC have like a quasi OTT service where like are they trying to charge you five dollars a month to watch TV on a non cable device? But I can't find it. But I could. I could swear that that was a thing. That I want to say that I've seen ads like while watching Better Call Saul that's mentioned something about that. Oh, it's called AMC Premiere. Not AMC Plus. That's what I Googled first, and (laughs) that didn't come up. Um, Or, well, AMC Plus was something related to the movie theater chain, so. Mm. Um, Yeah, AMC Stubbs is a pretty good name. 
Uh, yeah, so it's four ninety nine a month. So you have to have cable, and then you can pay them five dollars a month for the privilege of being able to binge TV shows without ads. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so uh, this is not going to be a full topic, but it's just kind of something we because we we talk about messenger bag or like um, what's that an obnoxious phrase that bag companies use? Everyday carry. We, we, <laughs> yes. Every time I read that, I just I, I want to go walk into a cornfield. And, and just <laughs> and then just be fake with Mayor Pete. Um yeah, so Peak Design uh in the, I mean like November or December talked about uh, a bunch of V2 products. And you since you are on the fan, uh, photography bandwagon or the fancy camera bandwagon now you um purchased a bunch of their accessories and also got a um 6 liter sling bag, is that correct? Yeah, so this is the version 2 of the sling right or well or there was never a six liter before east five so but but it's part of their v2 lineup yes exactly so i picked up two new things when the uh when the v2 thing came out and the everyday messenger finally um was no longer on pre-order status so i got a uh, a midnight blue uh six liter sling which there's no real review needed it's fantastic it's um slightly larger than the five liter as the six liter name would imply and that makes up for all kind of the five liter in some cases, depending on the lens was just a tiny bit too small. And also it would sometimes like if I had like a 24 to 70 F 2.8 on it and then my Kindle with it, it was kind of a tight squeeze and this solves that perfectly. So it's great. The midnight blue color is fantastic. Love it. The everyday messenger version two, this will probably uh, like a fuller review in a future episode. Um, but they changed so much of the bag and almost every change is for the worse. Mm. I'm really concerned because what, what is your everyday bag? Like not everyday in the peak design proper branding name, but you just, what's the bag you use most days? Um, I, I have, I have to go back into my Amazon order history and pull out the, um, uh, exact like, um, trying to think of even like what the name but the brand of it is it's, it's a very very simple backpack but but it's it's not the everyday backpack right that's your travel backpack no i so when i first got the everyday backpack i did take it with me like every day to work for a little while and it's, it's just too much for coming and going to the office which is you know what i do most days um I have a coworker who has the smaller size of the everyday backpack, and I th- that thought briefly crossed my mind that maybe I would just get the smaller size, but that also um, just seemed like too much still. Um, so if I can actually find my um, my backpack here on um, Amazon, you'll you'll kind of you'll see why. Um, kind of why the everyday backpack would be too much because i i just use a really really simple bag most of the time got it well while you're pulling that up so i'll I'll always talk briefly about it so one of the nicest things and, and you would know this from the everyday backpack is previously they had the um laptop and document compartment like it was externally accessible like it was its own little thing and on the version two it's not like one of the features I highlighted when like comparing the differences between the original line and the version two line was they were like expanded space for a laptop and, a, and, and any like documents you want to carry with you. 
but now it's on the inside. Like there's no external compartments other than like a couple like zipper pockets, but nothing you can't open your messenger bag without to grab your laptop without showing that you also probably have like a big ass camera with you, which I, which I, that, that seems like a huge step backwards for me. So yes, while there is slightly more space so that I can comfortably carry a Kindle, like a little FedEx envelope with any like paper documents I need throughout the day. And then a 13 inch MacBook pro, which was sometimes a tight squeeze on the old one. I now have to open the, um, the messenger bag fully every time I want to grab that, which is kind of a huge bummer. And I don't know, there's just a ton of spots where there's just less space than there was previously in a lot of deciding decisions where I'm like, yeah, it looks maybe a little bit sleeker and nicer than the old one, but it, um, yeah, I don't know. Like it feels like there's a lot of compromises. So I'm living with it for a week or two and like, I really wanted a new messenger bag. So like, I really don't want to return it, but I, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of a bummer about it. And also the colors aren't, aren't that great. It's either just all black or this new ash color, which I've never liked it, but it does have some kind of nice, handsome, uh, like plain tan leather accents to it. And it doesn't have like their old bags used to have kind of like weird contrasting, uh, stitching thread. Like where if you got like the, the dark gray one, it had uh really bright red stitching. And if you got the gray one, it had like bright blue. I don't know. It like a lot of the choices are nicer, but a lot of it's kind of way worse. Yeah, that you know, peak design bags are are. I mean, as we've talked about a lot on the show, I feel like is there. There's so much to like about them, and there's parts of them that are so well thought out. But then there's just certain decisions and certain features where they just don't seem quite as well thought out. And that's and that's the weird thing where like the V the version like the original bag was just like. It was really, really good. Like I, w- I, I had never seen a bag before that was made for people who need to. <clears throat> well, I know needs a strong word, but um, take a camera and a laptop with them most days, and it was really, really good for that. And it had a couple of like little uh, com- uh, pain points for me that I didn't like, but overall, I would say con- like that it was the best bag I'd ever owned. And not many other companies make stuff like that. Like Timbuktu doesn't have anything. That's even remotely um, protective or functional for somebody who um, wants to have uh, easy access to a camera on most days. Um, so I don't know that that's the part that's kind of a, a huge bummer. Where again, yes, yeah, some things are better, and again, Peak Design is kind of the only company that makes something for that specific use. But yeah, I don't know. I was going to say that about Timbuktu. Is I generally like their bags. I think they're both highly functional and look really nice. But yeah, they. I've I've looked at them for camera stuff and they just don't they don't have any great solutions there. Nope. Oh yeah, the in case. Yeah, no, like this is the the classic one. Yeah, I I so little sidebar. You know, Amazon's search history for your through your orders usually works pretty well. <laughs> but for some reason um it was just the kind of shortened version of the product name that appeared um, in my order history, which is just the in-case icon slim pack. Mm-hmm. So when I search for backpack and bag, this this did not come up. Well, yeah, but only a square would call it a backpack. Yeah, apparently. So I, I've had this for um, going on three years now and is what I take with me every day to and from work. And I mean, it's it's could not be 
any more simple than it is. Um, but for carrying a laptop, an iPad, and, you know, a handful of other random things like maybe some sunglasses or an umbrella um, or a couple pens or something, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's perfect. And it's super, super light and it's really small. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great bag. I'm pretty sure I've made it a chef special even. Sunglasses and umbrella on the same day. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And this, uh, in case makes good stuff. Um, yeah, that seems like the, kind of like the, the perennial, like, um, college kid pick. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Still living that college dream. Uh-huh. Maybe yeah, you move past the, the E1505. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Super glue and all. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, <clears throat> related to photography, have you gone through and set up that um, Lightroom folder publisher Amazon Photos workflow that I told you about? No, I haven't. Good, good. Oh. Um, so I've abandoned that because I don't know why. Like, I maybe I hadn't noticed because just like life's been uh, crazy and uh, frustrating the past like six months um, and I've, with, with a lot of unnecessary travel. So I, have, I guess my workflow had been uh, broken for a little bit where maybe it wasn't reliably updating. So then I was like trying to figure out like why that was. So I nuked the whole Amazon thing. I'm like, let me just delete all the photos and just like do a clean slate and just re-upload it. And I've been having a ton of issues where maybe, I don't know if there's like some invisible threshold where like it just doesn't work after a certain number of files where um, one, the Amazon photos client that that is uh, written for OS 10 is it would, it would peg my, it would occupy 100% of a single core of my core i7 six core whatever whatever um so just there was always kind of just like a slight hum of the fan because there was always one core that was just fully pegged by this poorly written app and then it would it would upload the first twenty thousand photos really really fast and then it would then just slow to a crawl and it would keep uploading but it was just going slowly and then i let it go for like a week and it just wouldn't it would only upload like 50 photos a day and it has been stuck on 1167 photos remaining to upload for like four days now. So I'm over it. And I have instead switched to, because I have um, uh, an Office 365 subscription of just, I've tried, because I thought like, well, what else can I possibly use for it? I can't use Google Photos because Google Photos is on iOS is really insistent that it upload all of your camera roll photos to it too, which for the specific uses is, is the exact opposite of what I want. I want it to be segregated for, um, of like phone and fancy camera photos. So then that only really leaves either Amazon photos, OneDrive, or Dropbox as the possible options, unless you can think of anything else. Well, so I, the, the main reason I haven't set up the Amazon workflow is because, well, I hadn't been living in my house until two days ago. Um, so and, and back in the house, but um, setting up technology stuff has been lower on the uh, priority list, much to my chagrin. Um, so one of the things I haven't yet done is uh, kind of set back up my Synology. I've had that unplugged while I've been gone because, you know, power's been kind of shut on and off while they've been doing the electrical work, all that fun stuff. Um. But anyway, when I when I go to set that back up, my understanding is that with the 
um, Synology Cloud Sync app, which is what I use to back up uh, my Synology to Backblaze B2. You can also use that to back up to um, Amazon Photos. So I wonder if maybe I wonder if maybe that's more reliable than the Mac client. I don't think it would be for one the main reason of you can't Amazon Photos you don't get unlimited storage space for raw files. Right. The so the I you know I poked around in some Reddit threads about it and it seems like <laughs> as long as you're consistent about pointing to a folder that only contains JPEGs and no other file types that it works without any issue. Yeah, but I'm not sure that actually solves a problem though, just because that's still, you're still having to use like the folder exporter so that you get like, so that you can spit out a folder of uh, just like edited JPEGs. So it's kind of, eh. okay. Like I can see where the movie, that's a little bit easier. Um, make sure that it's actually going to Amazon photos and not Amazon S3, just cause that's, that's or Amazon glacier. Cause that's entirely different. Yes. Right. So I did an experiment with OneDrive because I do have that 365 subscription. So that gives me a terabyte of um, of OneDrive storage. And their iOS app is pretty good. And I'm going to say cautiously that I think this is going to work out. Because, um, yeah, it's super... It, it won the uploader app is rock solid and it's much faster and has uses almost no processing power. Um, OneDrive is fast and reliable. Um, it does also do um, image and object recognition the same way that Google Photos and Amazon Photos does. But per the screenshot I just sent you, it does the world's most obnoxious thing, which is it puts a hashtag or an octothorpe in front of the uh, tag that it assigns to it. So I have hashtag animal and hashtag beach everywhere. And also a fire truck tag does hashtag bus. <laughs> Don't forget about hashtag chair. And hashtag cat. And also hashtag chair is not a chair. It's a picture of a irrigation system. And also hashtag cat. That's a dog. <laughs> so it's not great. But like, I, I don't care. Like, that's not the point of it. I do sometimes like where if I'm really like, if I'm searching for like a picture I took at like in a certain city when I'm out and about, like it, it knows how to, cause I am, I don't know if you listened to, there was an ATP episode, maybe one or two weeks ago where um, Marco was going on a rant about how he thinks traditional photography is dead or whatever. Like I, I found that unconvincing. Yeah. As, as, as someone who, you know, just spent a lot of money on camera, uh, a camera and accessories, I wasn't super happy with that conversation. Yeah, Mar- Marco gets get, goes hot and cold, and kind of, and, and he uh, one of the problems I've always had is that he will a, a very frequently just kind of go like he's very binary in his if whether he likes or dislikes something for the moment. So I'd, I've I've learned to tune a lot of that out. But Casey made a good point where like I am very much like him where he's like I'm very meticulous about geotagging all my photos. I am too, and uh, that's the one thing I do like about the iPhone where it will it will do that. And the reason most fancy cameras don't have GPS is they because they they don't have cellular service, so they can't use a GPS. So actual traditional like standalone GPS is incredibly slow and power hungry. So that's why pretty much nothing has it. So so how do you how do you geotag all your photos on the fancy camera? Uh, there's an app that I think has been a chef special in the past called um, Let me open up my thing. Uh, it's called Geotag Photos Two, 
And basically, if you're going to go on like a, a longer, like a walk around shoot or something or a place where like as in Lightroom, you can just go like if you were at um, just like at your house or you were at like the like I assume it, it, over the next five years, you're just basically going to live at the Exploratorium or something. <laughs> so you can just go. It's a great place for adults, too. Um, you can basically just go into Lightroom, click on the map uh, module, and basically just type in an address, and you can just drag all the photos to that. And, and that's super easy. But if like if you do like street photography, or you're walking around, or if you want to be like Casey, where he was talking about as a Disney World trip, and you want to have like very, very meticulous... Like, I, I was at... Um, Tomorrowland is that a thing at Disneyland World? Maybe. Yes. Let's say yeah. So yeah, you you could be you could have um, an app like Geotag uh, Photos to um, automatically log where you are, and then it will spit out a .gpx file, which is basically just like a time and GPS coordinate log to iCloud Drive, and then Lightroom will read that and will automatically sync up um, the location data. So that's 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 an easy thing to solve for. So Lightroom has a functionality where you can import this GPX file. Yeah. And then you can automatically, if for some reason, like, because this happened when I was visiting Chicago, where like all the, um, because like who honestly is going to change the time zone on their their camera? Like who's going to think of that? Nobody. But Lightroom is actually very easy where it says like, oh yeah, these don't match up. It looks like they were taken two hours apart. Do you want to fix that? And it's like, yeah, that's, that's very easy to do. Got it. So yeah, so anyway, OneDrive, I think I think it's going to be a solid fix for it. Again, like the tagging thing, like the hashtags are, are are silly and unnecessary and again like yeah, hashtag cabinet, that's 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 very very <laughs> good. And uh one one terabyte for JPEGs is plenty. Oh yeah, cuz even I have 31,500 photos and that's having deleted like duplicate or like dud photos like that even exporting at like high quality 24 megapixel jpegs only occupies about 200 gigs got it yeah so overall so before you go through the trouble of setting up the the amazon photos sync thing which again it sounds like you wouldn't run into my issue until you just have way 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 more photos so you can probably kick that can down the road for a while or you can try that Synology cloud sync app thing or if you have a 365 subscription, you can try this. I, I don't have a 365 subscription, so I'll probably still give the Amazon thing a shot. But yeah, like it, it worked really well for me for a very long time. I think I've just gotten to having too many photos where maybe I've broken something where I'm just an edge case now. Yeah. All right. And then the last thing in follow up is not something we'll probably talk about for a while, but there's a good Washington Post article basically about a whole bunch of companies basically just lobbying Congress of being like, hey, uh, big tech is unfair. And the reason I thought it was fun is that it included two um, companies that we talk about a lot. Uh, you with probably more disdain than me, but PopSocket and hey, that baby Yoda PopSocket was pretty that's, cute. That's yeah, that's wonderful. Um. Oh, also, I, I think Mike uh, talked about this on Upgrader. It might have been Cortex, but they also um, PopSocket because that's one of the big complaints is that you can't wirelessly charge. Oh, I, with I saw that they they made they made a wireless charger, right? That's compatible. So it's got like a big hole in the middle of it. And that's pretty great because, like, if if you're somebody who's on the um, like plus phone, max phone. Uh, lifestyle, which which again is a bad life choice, but to each their own. Um, yeah, like that's that a, a pop socket is almost necessary because the phone is so unwieldy and large. But then how does how does the phone go in your pocket if you have a pop socket? Well, because it folds pretty flat. 
and again, if you're already used to having a plus or a max phone, you're already used to having a, like um, an unnecessarily large object in your pocket. Oh, I didn't know it folded flat. That's that, okay. That's 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 good. Oh yeah, like it doesn't say stuck out the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be very un- uh, unnecessary. Um, but yeah, it, it folds pretty compactly. But yeah, so I, I thought the wireless charging thing was pretty cute and pretty smart. But yeah, so the people can go read this Washington Post article. But um, yeah, just a pop socket had a bunch of issues with Amazon where Amazon was like, I forget what they did, but Amazon had a thing like 18 months ago where they said basically like you can't, one, you have to use like this new selling platform, which also has this contingency where if you, you can't sell your product anywhere else in the world lower than you allow Amazon to sell it for. There was some weird like draconian um like fine print in their agreement. And that's been a bee in their bonnet for PopSocket for a while. And then Tile, I think their point was like this, you know, that rumored, I forget what the, like the code name was called, but that thing where people have been talking about Amazon, uh, sorry, Apple making a Tile competitor for a long time. Right. Yeah. So the, the, I think their thing was something around that or basically uh, saying that iOS's limitations makes it difficult for them to, um, make something that could possibly compete with a product like that before Apple Sherlock's them. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting article and people can go read it. It will be in, It'll the, be in the show notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, de- uh, dealer's choice. Do you want to talk about um, Sony skipping E3 or do you want to talk about Apple, uh, the FBI and unencrypted iCloud? Let's follow like the opening part of the show and get the, the unhappy stuff out of the way and then get into the more fun video game stuff. <laughs> I was with you until about the last two words. <laughs> um, all right, you're you're the better recapper. So, what's what's the deal here? I feel like this is this is a story that we've already heard. Um, this is almost seemingly a. I mean, obviously the the kind of situ- the situation of what happened is different between San Bernardino and Pensacola, but the the end result and how Apple fits into it's very similar in that. You have someone who's committed a violent crime, who was an iPhone user, and the FBI who's investigating the crime is trying to get Apple to unlock um, the gunman's phone, which, if you remember back to the San Bernardino story, Apple um, refused to do so, and eventually the FBI just went to a third party, which has some weird device that can do that. Um, and basically we're in the same exact situation again. The FBI has requested that Apple unlock an iPhone. They've said no. Um, and so we're at this kind of, um, impasse, but I guess sort of, um, my takeaway from this most recent event, which maybe came up as part of the San Bernardino incident as well. And I'm just not remembering, um, but there's a lot of nuances with the way that Apple handles encryption and sort of what is encrypted versus what's not encrypted. And I think messages is maybe the best example of that, where iMessage messages are end-to-end encrypted, which my basic understanding of that is basically like there's literally no technical way for Apple to get at that data. 
while they are in transit. Um, or I mean, even at I, even at either point as well, right? Except when it's backed up to iCloud. Well, no, no, no. But that—that's I'm. You're stealing my thunder here. That—that's what I'm getting at. Which is, <laughs> well, yeah. So, so they're end-to-end encrypted in terms of delivery, and then sure, there is an Apple doesn't hold an encryption key to unlock your phone. So yes, right. But then the the trick is that if you backup messages as part of your iCloud backup, which I, I presume most people do, that is not encrypted. So it's it's. It's just it's challenging to keep track of exactly what's encrypted on your phone and in your phone's backups versus what's not. Well, Apple has a really handy support web page that tells you exactly what isn't encrypted, and they they don't talk about it much. Um, so while while we're discussing that, I'll I'll go look that up. But yeah, so this is let me ask. Up until two days ago, when this when this um, story from Reuters hit, did you were you under the impression that iCloud backups were encrypted? Y- yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. I think almost everybody did, and I think that's something that Apple really wanted people to think. When they, I guess they, I guess maybe to clarify, I they are right, but Apple no. does have the ability to decrypt them. Well, yeah, that means they're not then. Well, what? Uh, oh, oh, well, okay, okay, but I, but I, I guess I'm saying if someone were to break into Apple's facilities and steal a bunch of hard drives with iCloud backups on them. I don't think that would do them any good because that data would be encrypted. But I, I, I think from an end user's perspective, they would be more worried about um, government or legal, whether or not you're guilty of anything, of, of that type of um, document request. Whereas if you have a bunch of encrypted files <clears throat> and the person hosting it does not have a, uh, a, a encryption key that would allow them to decrypt those files that would allow them to not comply but that's been kind of the loophole where in many cases where apple has said oh yeah we're do- we're doing absolutely everything that we can to assist with law enforcement including responding to um warrants and requests uh for cloud data that means that they um are, are cooperating with uh providing iCloud backups of which there is a ton of data that is not encrypted. So I sent you a link to an Apple Knowledge Base article that says the stuff that is end-to-end encrypted and nobody can read the data. And sure, it has a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of whatever. So home data, your health data, payment information, um, the quick type shortcuts that your keyboard learns from you over time, Wi-Fi passwords, stuff like that. But there's so much other stuff that is... um, Sure, it's encrypted on server, but Apple has a key to decrypt it. So with proper, or, well, it depends what country you live in, um, with adequate government um, requests, they can get at that data. And also, I forget somebody on Twitter had a good example of, basically, if it's something that has like a web front end, like if you can go to like Google Photos or um, iCloud Photos in a browser, like that stuff is not encrypted end to end if just by the nature of that you can see it with just a password. Right. So anyway, I, like I think Apple has occupied kind of this weird space where uh, I forget, was it at CES or like DEF CON in Vegas or something where they, they've made it the thing about this. And, and I think I even saw, and I think I sent a picture to you when I was in LA where by the Staples center, they had a big, like uh, like four story building, like half the side of it was painted with a thing that said, like everything that's on your iPhone stays on your iPhone or was some, some dumb um, 
like like privacy that means iphone like they've had this big ad campaign for like the past year of being like oh yeah we're we're the privacy company but i think there's kind of always been this uneasy um situation where apple wants customers to think that and apple does have a better better record on privacy than most companies but they um they there's like a lot of lies of omission by them not hyping up the flaws or the or the issue or the situations where they have maybe less of a commitment to that because that gives them an out with governments and law enforcement and they <clears throat> keep leaning into the fact that they are the privacy focused company but they don't really address that kind of stuff and they've kind of let people think that iCloud is a completely encrypted solution which uh it absolutely isn't and just reading on twitter and reading like hacker news threads and stuff like that like it's you're noticing a lot of people who you would think would know this don't and i'm not saying that i knew it the entire time but like people who thought oh yeah i thought this already was encrypted and and it's not and that makes a lot of apple's message on privacy and customer information ring hollow where they've taken a very holier than thou approach against app uh, up against google who gives you a ton of stuff for free but uses your data to like train ai algorithms and stuff like that yeah i think you said this in the in the thing basically apple's position on privacy is they'll offer users privacy when it's convenient for them to do so or at least when it's not inconvenient for them to do so yeah that's that's the whole thing where like and again like this is and not to broaden this conversation out because it's not gonna be productive but just apple like this happens with a lot of stuff like the same thing where do you remember when on the apple watch they came out with that um like the wavy line uh pride watch face right yeah and that wasn't available in russia because they had they just had a geo lock on it where to appease the russian government uh because because the way russia is um it's just not available there and if you're in Taiwan, you can't use, like, there's some flag emojis that you can't use. And I think it's also in Russia where if you look at Crimea on a map or something, it generates a different map than the rest of the world. Like, Apple has a whole lot of um, ethical and ideological inconsistencies with the way that they try to present themselves and the ways that they're, they're willing to bend to make sure that their business is protected. And it's the same where, way where Tim Cook is asking for tax reform and all all the other stuff where, oh yeah, he's he's donating a million dollars to uh, whatever, whatever social cause that Apple pretends to care about, but then they'll cozy up to the Trump administration to get whatever tax breaks they need. Like there's just a lot of stuff where there's a lot of um, inconsistencies where I, it it just feels weird. And I, and I, I think that's exacerbated by kind of the... Um, like the Apple friendly and like a, a lot of the press and the the media, I think we both uh, commonly consume like is it very much likes Apple and wants to like Apple. And sometimes it ends up being um, kind of uncritical. And there's a whole lot about Apple that, yeah, they're better than most companies, but they're also in a lot of ways, not great or as virtuous as people want to give them credit for. I don't know. Well, I think we, we've definitely talked about this before, but, the issue isn't really the policy in a lot of way. Like I think you made this point earlier that compared to most companies, Apple actually does offer better privacy solutions with user data. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is messaging. 
and how they basically position themselves as being almost like without fault and how they offer just flawless privacy that, you know, like literally no one under any circumstances could ever get at your data. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's just, that's not true. I mean, this support article, which will be in the notes, you know, lays that out. So it, it's it's a it's kind of an unforced error with just the way that they describe how this stuff works, or like you also said, kind of selectively choose what not to point out. Yeah, yeah, it. it yeah, I d- I just don't think you necessarily get to be the company that um, rallies around privacy and and and. Um, because there was also the thing, remember when Tim Cook did some interview with MSNBC and he was talking about, oh yeah, like he took like some like cheap shot at Facebook being like, our business is selling you devices, not your information. Like that's the thing where kind of, but not really. I like, I mean, I don't know. Like there's a lot of stuff where it just, it just doesn't ring true. And, and I think this is a big point where, um, I do think the people on the inside of Apple were probably like, you know, like, no, we, we, we do value customer privacy. And I don't think Apple has like any um, motives where they're trying to monetize your data or they're doing this for any type of business reason other than not doing so is um, maybe makes it easier for them to sell more devices. Like, I don't, I don't think they're doing it because encryption would be bad for business of uh, like um a data monetization or a marketing angle it's it's more so that they um if they run afoul of governments it would make it harder for them to sell devices and the subscriptions that run on those devices they like subscriptions mm-hmm. i've heard i don't know and that's that's pretty much it so i mean just this is a, like you said this is a repeat of like 18 months ago oh, who who would have thought gun violence in america it's still happening um and and it's it's the kind of the same stories before where i and i think that's one of the untold stories of the um like this pensacola case versus the san bernardino one which was like yeah tim cook went on tv and kept saying oh yeah like backdoors are like basically analogous to cancer of software or whatever stupid metaphor he used um and but then they're like yeah we're cooperating with law enforcement in any possible way but apparently in both of these cases like the the perpetrators didn't use iCloud, which means like their one usual backdoor is not open to them as like they're out. So I, I don't know. It's the same story. I, I assume we'll be here uh, in in eighteen months again. But again, maybe President Warren will have a different approach about it. I don't know. <laughs> and that's and that's the other part where um I, I don't have a link to the tweet, and hopefully you can find it because I don't want to go to twitter.com slash real Donald Trump right now. But there was some quote where, or like some tweet where it's like, like uh, uh, the president is saying, we've been really nice to Apple and we've given them everything they want, but they, they won't help America. Uh, and uh, like against, I know I have to find the fucking tweet, but like it, he, his whole thing is basically like, oh yeah, we gave you tax cuts and we've, we've worked with you. We've bent over backwards for Apple and now Tim doesn't want to help America. And it was so like, Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, we are helping Apple all the time on trade and many other issues, and yet they refuse to unlock phones used by killers, drug dealers, and other violent criminal elements. They will have to come to the plate and help our great country. Now, make America great again. I, I think that's the part where whenever anybody kind of says the whole, um, 
Tim Cook is really adept at playing Trump's game and doing what's best for shareholders and all this kind of stuff. I think this is the part where it kind of blows up a little bit. I don't know. Good use of MAGA, though. Ugh. All right. You got any other Apple stuff? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered it. All right. Uh, well, uh, good news, because um, you, you know how anti-trade show I am. Uh, place, uh, Sony and PlayStation, uh, as a subsidiary are skipping E3. Wasn't E3 canceled for a couple of years? For one year they did, they, they didn't, or for one year it was, I think it's like 2000, maybe nine sometime around then it became just like a really, really small show. Um, but then it like the very next year went back to being kind of the big, the big spectacle that it, that it typically is. Um, and it's actually like gone totally the other direction now where, you know, historically it was only open to the media. Now it's open to the public as well. Um, so it's kind of this like weird trade show slash just public convention. Um, it's kind of like, it's one of those things where it's like it, it, it's now basically made like nobody happy. <laughs> like everybody's kind of mm-hmm. upset with how it, how it's set up. Cause it's, if you're media trying to do your job there, it's, you know, it's super crowded. Uh, and if you're the public, you're paying all this money to then stand in these crazy long lines to play, uh, demos. It's, it's just not kind of not great across the board, but, um, anyway, um, Sony for the first time skipped E3 last year, it was semi a big deal, but a lot of people, I think, kind of smartly pointed to the fact that, like, well, they had kind of a, a small lineup last year. They're getting ready to transition to the PlayStation 5 the following year. So because they knew it was going to be a down year, they were smart to just kind of proactively skip it instead of spending all this money to attend the show, only to have all the headlines be, gee, Sony really didn't have anything to say. But, you know, the assumption was like, well, surely they'll be back in 2020 because you know, they'll want to talk about the PlayStation 5 a ton or maybe even announce the PlayStation 5 at the event. Uh, But no, they've decided that they are going to skip it as well this year. Um, And I think, you know, this is just another in a long list of examples across not only the video game industry, but I think technology and maybe just consumer products in general that with... um, social media being where it is and the ease of people streaming live video on YouTube and other platforms, it's just become so easy for companies to directly connect with their users and potential users. Like if you're Sony and you're getting ready to launch this new console, why do you want to share the stage with dozens of other video game companies? Like why wouldn't you instead want to have a dedicated time that was set aside for you that wasn't bumping up against like microsoft's um keynote or anything like that like it just it just makes all the sense in the world and just um you know gets back into what we were talking about with ces last week which is just like the future of just trade shows and these big convention type um setups like they they made a ton of sense in the 90s and early 2000s but i just don't think they make sense anymore Mm -hmm. like i think i think i think the the exception to that would really be 
like something like WWDC, where there is an educational component to it. I think that that's where um, a show like that still has real value. Like if, if WWDC was kind of like just the keynote and then some maybe some demos or something like that would, would probably not warrant a big live show. Yeah, but the, the difference there is that WWDC is, is a first party event. That's where, true. Right. Like, That's and a good it, point. like your your point being that it does maybe it doesn't have to happen at the same time every year and in that um software and hard releases don't necessarily need to coincide if you're that company. Like that that makes sense. But going back to the Sony thing, like I, I am so happy and, and all for this because like I, yeah, this is one of those things where it it feels like if you're of a certain like now that there's been some consolidation in the video game industry, and I'm I'm kind of talking out of my out of my butt here because I I don't know anything about video games, but yeah, like I, if you're a big company like Sony, like why do you need to be on somebody else's timetable for this type of thing? Where yeah, like you're exactly right. Where nobody really wins. So if you have the audience, like hell, even Sam, like Samsung and Motorola have the ability to do their own like entertainment keynotes, and they don't have to time the release of like their galaxy and note series phones for some big tech trade show because like again there's not as many players as they used to be and there's not like you kind of either have like super entrenched players now that are huge and have the marketing budgets to either put on their own press events or their own like little mini trade shows or people are doing stuff on like kickstarter or whatever like it's kind of like it feels like there's very little middle ground for like mid-sized tech companies and and with that that's kind of where trade shows fall away the one counterpoint that I would bring to this is that kind of in going back to Sony as the example, where um, in the photography world, like it feels like they have not been able to get away from that, where a lot of um, camera and hardware and lens announcements, and stuff like that do tend to center around um, like a couple of different trade shows like uh, NAB, uh, which is where kind of like a lot of video equipment comes out with. I think that's the National Association of Broadcasters, maybe. And then like Photokina is another big trade show where that's where... Um, Sony, Nikon, and and um, like Canon's kind of a has been these days, but like they they will put their stuff around that, and and they haven't really found. Um, there have been very few Sony um, photography product releases that do not coincide around a trade show. So I guess that's a position that's a um, like a market segment where they don't have as much um, influence and power as they do in video games. But yeah, I, I like just like CES is just an absolute mess and debacle. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that E3 is kind of fading away because I'm like I I can see the 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 need or the point for some type of like fan service like marketing day event type thing. Like I I get that, and that's a thing that a company can want and have, but. I don't know. Like, I, I, it feels like not necessary for most of the companies. So yeah, basically echoing a ton of what you said. So I would propose maybe, I don't know, one. <laughs> so we've now spent over an hour on follow-up and what we creatively call loss carry over from the prior week. No, we're, we're good. We're good. Okay. Again, we had important paper towel stuff to talk about. We did. So I've, I think we have a couple of quick things that we can talk about. Um... One, can we talk about the podcast stuff real quick? Oh, yeah, sure. So Luminary, the um, the company that's here to save podcasting, um, because uh, podcasts shouldn't have ads. They were, they were the one that had the bad tweet, right? Where they basically, they had like, you know, the bunny meme where the, where the bunny is holding a sign. 
and they're like podcasts shouldn't have ads. That was a good one. But anyway, apparently that their $8 a month service plan is not working and they've reduced it to $5 a month. And then I think, um, most people are thinking maybe that's, that's, that's not low enough. I think it has to be closer to zero. Anyway, so that's, that's a, a throwaway thing. The more interesting part of this is the one that you put in here is that, um, so Spotify has made a number of acquisitions and, uh, so they bought Gimlet Media, which makes Reply All and Heavyweight and a whole bunch of other, um, podcasts. And it was started by a couple of people that worked at This American Life and Planet Money. Uh, apparently they are in talks to buy The Ringer podcasting network. Would they also get the website if this went through or just the podcasts? I would assume just podcasts. Cause I, I, I never can tell is the ringer an HBO product? No. What is the Bill Simmons HBO tie-in? They're an independent company that Bill Simmons started after he was fired from ESPN. Um, and HBO is one of their early investors. So that's why they make a talking dead or, or no, that's a different one. Wait, but they, they don't, they make like shows that are like, let's talk about HBO shows. Uh, they've done that before, um, and then they they also just announced today that they're doing like a a music documentary series. They they've done sort of some like ad hoc projects with HBO. Got it. But yeah, so Spotify's made a lot. Like even though I mean we all we, like we as old time podcasting nerds and people who have listened to shows for since Buzz Out Loud was a thing, um, and back when. They were called podcatchers, and you had to download a separate app to import stuff into iTunes so that you could then sync it to your iPod that had a hard drive in it. Like, we probably maybe don't love the whole Spotify as trying to somehow just throw a bunch of money at the wall and hope that podcasts means they spend less on music royalties. But I don't know. Spotify's been buying a ton of cool stuff um, related to podcasting, so at the very least, they're making smart acquisitions if if they want to... Like it's better than setting money on fire, so that's a ringing endorsement. But um, yeah, I don't know. This seems like a if somebody's going to buy them, that seems like a smart smart move. I think given given what happened to Simmons at ESPN and some of the things he said about you know him really valuing the Ringer being this independent company, I I don't think I think this is one of those things where like this is probably something Spotify would like to do and has maybe strategically leaked, but I I don't think this is something that'll actually go through if I had to guess. Or it or it'll maybe take the form of something that they're actually already doing is they already have um they the ringer's done an exclusive podcast for Luminary. They also do one for Spotify. So it could just be like an expansion of that where maybe they agree to, you know, do a certain number of exclusive podcasts per year or something like that. But it, I don't see Spotify taking over the whole um, network. Maybe I don't know the the, the Gimlet acquisition. Um, and actually, they they also bought that weird app Anchor that like where you could just record a podcast from your phone. Both of those seem like Spotify has taken a pretty hands off approach. So I don't know if they were to acquire, I don't think it would end up that badly. But but if Simmons has a um, is is worried about it, then I don't know. Maybe yeah. Um, anything else? You want to talk about any of the NBC stuff or jump into stuff specials? I would say let's let's table that for next week, um, and get into the chef specials. All right, what you got? So, 
I'm I'm kind of proactively making this pick. I'm, I'm almost um, wish casting a pick, if you will. That's how it works. Um, I know. But I'm, you're, hoping, you're using this as a segment to hope something's good. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, I, I I already have experience with it, but well, it, it'll make sense. Let me explain it here. Okay. So I I made reference earlier to the fact that there's like six different light switches in the house now, just because you know we've been kind of experimenting with various ones to kind of see which one we like best, and as part of this whole lighting project. Um, as is contemplated in the the spreadsheet that I sent you, I think we're gonna we're we're gonna go forward with the um the click switches. Is that the one that's fifty dollars, but is like a sanctioned as friends of Hue? Exactly, and it it you know just looks very much like a traditional rocker switch, decor style rocker switch. Um, I I think that the Lutron Aurora Aurora, which we've also talked about on the show, the little circular switch. In terms of like use is probably the better switch. Like the button feels really nice. Uh, it's got a very pleasant little light that comes on when you press it. The little knob is great for dimming. Um, whereas like the click switches, you know, they 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 take a little bit of getting used to in terms of the way that they feel, um, especially when you use them for like dimming functionality. But visually, they just look a lot nicer because they look like regular light switches, you know, go figure. So, um, I think, I think we're going to go all in with the, the, the click switch lifestyle. Um, and it's nice, it's nice that it's uh, native to hue. So that way you're kind of locked into that ecosystem. Not that lock-in's very good, but the, you're, you're committing. Yeah, exactly. Well, when, yeah, when, I mean, once you're... you, once you start uh, like making holes in the wall, you're kind of, well, no. So we're, um, we're not creating any new um, switches in the house. These are just these are just replacing dumb switches throughout. But there's the house. a per- there's a permanence to it when it's in the wall versus just like a little uh, accessory that you stick on the wall or something. Sure, but it's you know it's two screws into an you know into an electrical box. So you're no no you got to hire an electrician for that. <laughs> you're pot committed. Sure. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't really have a good one. I, I'll I'll give a a lazy uh, coffee pick. Um, do you have uh, like a travel coffee mug or water bottle that you like? Um, you know, I I don't travel with coffee as much anymore, so not really. And I've kind of tried to pare down on the number of mugs and stuff I have. Got it. Um, so I'm going to give a recommendation for the, and I bought two of these and then they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty good. I'm like, I'm not really sure what I'm expecting for this. Um, it is from a company that I, that I really disliked for a while called Contigo. And, and I'll actually, actually, I'll, I'll give the story of why I dislike them first. Can I, can I interrupt real fast? Uh-huh. I apparently purchased this product back in <laughs> August of 2015, <laughs> which I, yeah, I, I do remember having this. Yeah. Um, do you remember the, like six months ago when SFO was like, hey, we're not going to sell bottled water anymore? No. Yeah. So SFO, because, you know, it's it, everything. Everything in Northern California is run by Berkeley hippies. Okay, plastic waste is a problem. But this this was dumb where you know how like well, the TSA has the rules where you can't bring water. But then you you get into the like you get past security and SFO has a regulation like as of like last summer. You can't buy bottled water 
or bottled liquids except like juices in plastic containers at a Cepho period. So then on Instagram, this company, Contigo, was like, oh, well, every time you come here to buy this uh, aluminum mug that you'll throw away when you get to your destination. Like they, <laughs> they didn't phrase it that way, but I'm like, that's the part where like when people are like, you know me, I, I love my reusable shopping bags and I'm very, very particular about what makes the rotation for a branded reusable shopping bag. Like it's, 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 it's big, but like this seemed really silly. And I was like, okay, so the fact that we now are trying to eliminate plastic waste, you're now going to use this as an opportunity to sell your 15 to $25 aluminum mugs that are also going to get thrown away too frequently. Like I'm like, I, I, I don't get it, but anyway, I, I got as of last uh, last Christmas, four weeks ago, um, big into the making coffee at home thing, and these mugs are great. So I'm going I'm going to recommend this where I have both I have one of the 16 and one of the 20 ounce ones, and they keep coffee warm for a very 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 long up like absurdly long time, um, and also with cold drinks it also works that well too uh, that way too, because uh, science and the whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it's got a little thingy where if you put your thumb on one side of it, like it, like the, um, little, like the sippy cup is not the right word. What's the thing where you, it's got the thing that makes it, what's it called? Uh, the adult sippy cup thing. (laughs) I I don't really know the technical term for it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure you do. (laughs) <laughs> you're humoring me but basically like if you're looking at the product page on amazon it's got the big thing where it's got like like this little thumb button that says auto seal or basically as you're drinking it if you with your your fingers you you press that down it allows liquid to come out of it whereas if you don't it allows you to toss the thermos or like or this mug thing into like your bag and it won't automatically like it, you don't risk anything spilling out so, so it's, a, it's a very smart design and it's easy to clean and it's it's overall pretty great I was just turned off by their whole opportunist marketing scheme when there was that whole um, uh, SFO thing. Yeah, I do remember it being really easy to clean, that, that, which is not always the case with these types of travel mugs. Yeah, so the color that I was going to say, got, but the most important thing is what color did you get? I got, is it not for sale anymore? I got, I think it might be this one that says Monaco Transmat in the 16 ounce and then i got the um the stainless steel one in the 20 ounce which is too large for the cup holder in my car so i have to throw the car away which is what you're about to do (laughs) yeah 